1: We have something for the older kids that are in here. We're going to be talking about marriage, and uh, I'll I'll be reading some stuff from the Bible that might make some of you blush, and if you're like, hey, uh, some of my older kids might not want to be in here, then now is the time for them to get up and head out. Ignite 8 Kids, Courtney is in the back, and they can head out. This is entirely up to you parents. If you're like, this would be a good time to get them out, I warned you now, okay? Don't say anything afterwards. This is your warning. All right, but we're gonna be in here. We're gonna have some fun this morning, and Beck's gonna join me for this one. I love it. So, here's what we're doing we're talking about marriage and really relationship goals, just looking at where we are and some goals that we have, some dreams that we have for our lives, and and how how we can get there and what we can do. And this week, we're gonna spend some more time talking about this and really. what, what I want to say before we get too far into this is you fight for your marriage because marriage is work and not because of who you married. Marriage is just work. First Corinthians 7.28 says this, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Not those who married, got, those who married too young, not those who married too old, not those who married the wrong person. There is no one that you could have married, that it would have just been like, it would have all just come naturally and been super easy. Like, that, they, they do not exist. Those who marry will have what? Trouble. trouble. You said that a little bit loud, Chet, just, just so you know. <laughs> Woo! Um, anyways, he knew the answer. That's the only reason he said that. But you're going to have trouble. So we fight for our marriage, and we make it great. And what's easy to do for me and for you, is to look and to be in services like this, or even to walk through life and be like, if my, if she would just, you fill in the blank there, man, that would just change everything. But let me just say this, I can't change her, you can't change her, you can't change your spouse, you can't change your husband, but you can choose to change. And as easy and as, and as you can think, well, how quickly, and what a difference it would make in your marriage if your spouse was to just, again, you fill in the blank, you can be that change, and you can make that difference.
0: Yeah, Colossians 127 says, and this is the secret, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the secret is, this is, this is Elizabeth Elliott. she said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances right? So it's so easy. We talk about the grass being greener on the other side. And this morning I was driving from our house. We live in Granville currently because land is expensive. And I was driving out this way. We have an acre and a half. We have a small house, like what, I don't know, 1,800 square feet or something. And yes, all seven of us live in there. Um, And I was thinking, driving out, the sun was shining and I'm looking at these big houses. I'm looking at these big yards and I'm thinking, oh, who would want to live there? And I'm looking at the next house. Oh, who would want to live there? I wouldn't want to live there. Because what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about my dining room, which has this beautiful, it's just beautiful. He's going to laugh. But it's all covered with mud from dog prints and stuff. But it's a sliding glass window. It's on the southern side of my house. So all of that light we experience today, I get all winter long, whenever it's, whenever it's shiny, I'm looking at these houses, I'm thinking, no south windows, no south windows, so it really is what we make of it, what we have, when, when I look at Samuel, I could say, oh my goodness, his feet are size, whatever, 4E, like extra wide, like I, I will never get somebody with little skinny feet, and so I get to look at him and choose, this is my ideal, this is my ideal. He will never be. <laughs> <laughs> he will never be perfect. I will never be perfect for well, with him, like to. I will never be perfect, just in general. But he gets to put up with me, and I get to put up with him. It's not changing our circumstances. It's Christ in me that helps me see differently.
1: But you can be that difference. That difference maker. You decide it. Something that I did not that was never on my list of things to look for in when when I was like dating was contentment. That was not on my list. There were some things on a list. I wrote them down. I had one. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But contentment wasn't on there. But I got married, and let me just tell you, you want to know what I'm the most thankful for? She's just content. She's just happy. Wherever I get her, she's like, this is wonderful. I absolutely love it. She's just got this attitude of she's going to make the best where she is instead of thinking it'd be so much better if I was where I'm not. But let me just say, where you are, you can make it even better. You be the difference maker. When, when I was growing up, my older brother, he's three years older than me, and let me just say, he was a jerk. He was an absolute jerk. His name is Josh, and he was a jerk. Um. <laughs> We did not get along when we were little, like, at all. We fought. My parents tried all kinds of stuff. They're like, well, we're going to make you boys share a room. And and then they were like, that's a really bad idea. And then they separated us. And it got to the point they would not take us in the car at the same time. They're like, no, you guys, this is ridiculous. And I'm telling you, it was all him. But... (laughs) Um, Even even when it came to hunting, like instead of dad taking both of us, he's like, I can only take one of you because you guys don't get along, and this is ridiculous, and you guys got to stop this. And I'm like, it's him. He is the problem. But then I remember my brother turned 15, and he was driving, and I'm in the back of the car, and we were actually on Ivanrest, headed south. I've been dressed dead ends into 76th Street. We were coming down the hill there near the stop sign. I remember all of this so clearly. And I'm sitting there, and I remember I'm like, he's going to turn 16, and he's going to be able to drive. I am going to want him to want to take me places. (laughs) And I remember making a decision like, I need to get along with him. Out of all selfish reasons, like 100% selfish reasons, I'm like, but I need to get along with him. We became really good friends. We had a great relationship after that, to the point that when I went to college, I ended up moving in with him out of choice, being like, yeah, this will be great. We get to be roommates together. And we had just an awesome relationship. And on one of those days where we're down living together out of choice now, I remember I asked him, I said, hey, remember how we did not get along? And he's like, oh, yeah. Because he, again, he was a jerk. Okay, I just want to point that out. It was all him. And I said, what changed? And his answer was, I can't think of anything. He says, I can't point to any one thing. But I could. I remember making that decision. And the result was, it changed the relationship for both of us. That was brother and sister. Let me just say this. You can change your relationship for both of you, it doesn't need to be the other person, no matter how big of a jerk they are. Because Josh was a jerk. I still blame him for all of it. But you can be the one that makes that difference. And it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Um, I think it was after Molly. Probably after Molly. So we got. We got married and then wham, babies just started showing up out of nowhere. And it, it wasn't on our plan, like this wasn't like the plan, and, and, and suddenly there were, there were babies there. And the first two were there, they're about, uh, they're just over 12 months apart. And it, Beck, Beck wasn't just like, she didn't just jump into to mom role and just love it. And I'm like, this is, I'm doing everything I can to try to encourage and help I guess I'd kind of say she was, she was very outward-focused and wasn't really focused on the kids at home, and I'm like, I think she needs to be more, and...
0: Yeah, and, and he's, he's correctly telling that story. I, I did not have a heart to be home. I did not really have a heart to be with the kids, um, and I was. I mean, I'm, I've always been an extrovert. I think I always will be an extrovert, but I was very, like, anything but home was my focus.
1: And I remember... I. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I do not know what to do. And so I was in, in the car with a friend, an older friend that I looked up to that has kids and is further down the road than me. And it was just, he and I, we were alone. And I, and I remember I just, I said, to him, I said hey, I just kind of told him what was going on. I'm like, what do I do? And he just looks at me and goes, oh, we just, we, we pray. And so we pray. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do? And he goes, we did it, we prayed. And I'm like, but what do I do? (laughs) And he's like, we prayed, it's done. And I don't remember the exact prayer. It wasn't fancy. But honestly, he just led me. And he's like, just pray that God turns your wife's heart towards the family and towards home. And so we prayed. It wasn't long, but it was full of faith. And he was there with me, and we prayed. And oh, my goodness, I didn't change her, but I prayed, and you don't want to know what God did? God did a work in her, and her focus changed, and oh my goodness, she's the most amazing heart, she's the best, but I didn't change it, God did.
0: You know, Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and I look at that and I think, you know, God is God is going to be transforming me. But it does start in my thinking. We live in a world that wants us to have a victim mentality in absolutely everything, because when we're victims, we're we're enslaved, we're trapped. But the Bible tells us that we are we're more than conquerors. It says that we're more than conquerors. Um, and uh, Hebrews 12:2 says, "Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us." We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus and we cha- the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. When we change our thinking and I say, you know what, I'm not going to accept what the world says. I'm not going to accept that I am just a victim of my circumstances. Yes, things happen to us. There, there are things that, um, that we cannot control, but our outlook is something that we can control in any circumstance.
1: Absolutely. So let me just say this. Do not underestimate the power of prayer, especially in your marriage, especially in your marriage, because the Bible says that the two become one. So you can pray for and over somebody else. Yes, absolutely. James five sixteen. the Prayers of a righteous man are both powerful and effective. But when you bring that inside the marriage and you begin to pray over and for one another, there is an authority that you have on that level that you do not have with everybody else. Do not neglect and do not forget the power of prayer and praying for and over your spouse. You want to see some changes? Do what you can. You change you and pray for your spouse and watch what God does. To what God does. It is amazing. And then what I want to do now is to kind of give you some practical ways to fight for your marriage. And last week, we really looked at these, these 10 emotional needs, which I found in His Needs, Her Needs, a book by Dr. I think it's Harley. Love it. We got through a few of those last week, which they were admiration and respect, admiration, affection, conversation, financial support, uh, family commitment, honesty and openness, physical attractiveness, recreational companionship, and sexual fulfillment. And I, I say these because here's what we need to do. We need to fight for our marriage. We need to know what our, our spouse's needs are and how we can meet those needs. And we covered a few of those last week. And so this week, we're going to start at the bottom. and We're going to start with that sexual fulfillment, and we're going to go from there. And here's the reason. I want you to think about this when it comes to sex. Think about this with me. Adam and Eve, God created marriage when there were two people on the planet. There's only two, and yet God created marriage. Genesis 2, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. This is a special relationship, it's not like any other relationship. It's super special. It's one. It's different than every other relationship. Matthew 19, verse 6, talking about marriage, says this. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, who joined it together? God. What God has joined together, let no one separate. So let me ask you this. How does God join people together? How does God do that? Well, one of the ways that he does it is through sex. Sex is one of the ways that he does it. 1 Corinthians says this, 1 Corinthians 6.16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Sex is not just a naked high five, like (laughs) there, it's done, you touched. It's not physical. It's it's more than physical. The message paraphrase says that same verse this way. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two will become one. We become one, and one of the tools that we're given that do that is it's sex. When Whenever somebody uh, comes in for marriage counseling tonight, and, and, and they say anything like, you know, um, and it's, it's usually her, well, she just doesn't, he doesn't get me. He doesn't understand. I want him to understand me more. And I'm like, oh, I can help with that. They're like, yes? I'm like, absolutely. It's like, what, what can we do? And I'm like, easy, sex. However much sex you're having, just have more. And I'm so serious because here's what it is it's a mingling of the two. It's not just natural. It's natural, yes, but it's spiritual. It's the way I've heard it referred to as this soul mingling. The Bible says the two become one. You want to get along, you want to understand your spouse better, then there's something that you can do to do that. And go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry, I was going to say, you know, the Talmud is, um, in Jewish tradition, their book of law and that sort of thing that they that they derive from, from Torah. And in the Talmud, the, the word for sex is to know. And um, I think that's one of the things is often if things are off in a relationship, you know, if... if if I'm feeling like he just is not getting it or he's feeling like I am just not getting it or what is going on, and it's like the last thing on my mind, I want to be heard before we're intimate. I want to be heard. And then sometimes I'm just like, you know what, let's, let's do it, Let, right? And, and then I'm like, oh my goodness, honestly, I don't even need to be heard. Like I really think that it was just that needed to happen. It, it, it is a gift.
1: It really is. And it's the way that the two are meant to become one. So sex, honestly, in a marriage relationship, is a thermometer and it's a thermostat. Because you can look at the frequency and engagement. This isn't just like, just just let me know when you're done thing. Like, okay, that's, that's, that's not what this is. But frequency and engagement of sex in marriage is a sign of health. Lack of is a sign of dysfunction and unhealth. You're never going to have that intimacy. They say that women want intimacy in order to give sex. And it says that men want the sex, and so they give the intimacy. But what you, if you think about it, you're like, well, it's a perfect circle then. It, it doesn't have to be bad. It can be good. But then you also look at a, a marriage where there is great sex, and it actually works as a thermostat. Because the more where we just decide we're going to engage and we're going to love and we're going to serve our spouse in that, the marriage relationship as a result is better. It's a component that without, there's something missing and the marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. And it can be a whole lot better. Now, understand this, somebody always wants it more. That's that's just what it is. Somebody's going to want it more. You're like, well, they just, it's all that he, it's all that she thinks about. And you're like, like for us, we got married and then she would just wouldn't leave me alone. I'm like, you laugh, you laugh, but I am so serious. She would just chase me around. i like, can't we just snuggle? Like, seriously. But, and some of you are like, well, how do you get that? You pray. I'll just tell you right now. You pray. We'll go right back to step one, pray. Yes? Yep.
0: <laughs> you know, I, honestly, one thing about that, it's really important that you hear that because when I was first married, I had never heard, um, I had never heard that the guy would always want it and the, and the girl wouldn't until I got married. And then somebody had said, ladies, your husband will never not be in the mood. And so then I'm like, okay, I'm in the mood. And I would talk to him and he'd be like, okay. You know, and I'm like, well, what is wrong with me? And then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, no, what's wrong with him? And then what I realized is when you look through the word, I mean, you've got, if you read Song of Solomon, it is the the husband and the wife who are both um, excited about each other. It's not a bad thing for the woman to be excited about it. But somebody will always have more of a desire than the other person. And so um, it's important that you hear that. Because there's not something wrong with you if it's if it's reversed. If the if the female is like, no, let's let's up the frequency. It's great. Of this. It's
1: not a bad you know? thing at all. <laughs> Although
0: I really am not a big snuggler.
1: <laughs> she's not. It's yeah. so funny. Like I'll come up to her and give her a hug, and she's like, I don't need this. Just so you know, is this for you, or is this I for know. me? I'm
0: This is for you. Like, if you need to snuggle right now, then I will snuggle. But if you are trying to snuggle me for my actual snuggling, like we're really talking about snuggling, (laughs) I'm like I I don't. If this is for your benefit, I don't need it. You know, one thing that I really want to address um, when it comes to sex is shame, because I think Satan really tries to use shame as a tool, and it works in multiple ways. So he tries to use shame as a tool if you've entered your marriage not. Uh, not pure, if you haven't uh, entered your marriage as a virgin, or if you've entered your marriage compromised, he tries to bring shame into that. And another thing is if you have saved yourself for marriage and you enter marriage, he tries to bring shame by, by telling you, well, you're not experienced enough, or you won't bring what that person needs. You won't provide what that person needs. And I just want to say, you know, Isaiah 54, got to open this up here. Um, Isaiah 54 says, it talks about what believers will experience when the Messiah comes, and it says this. It says, fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. Um, Isaiah Isaiah 43 also says that you were bought with a price. That he has called you by name, you are his. The word tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I just want to say when it comes to shame, that is not yours to carry. If you are in Christ, that is not yours to carry. And it is extremely vulnerable to be in front of another human being with all of our physical imperfections, all of our emotional imperfections, all of that. But it is something we're called to because, like, like I was saying, the word in the Talmud for sex is to know. We, our desire is to be known. And when God created marriage and he created sex, it is supposed to be the closest thing to heaven on earth. Revelation 17 talks about what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. And it talks about a wedding feast, a feast where Christ is there and the church is the bride of Christ and so we really want to make sure that we allow those things that Satan is trying to put in us when it comes to shame to be dissolved and we just have to say Jesus I am yours I recognize that this my body belongs to you and that this union is glorifying to you and that is really a strong tool we have against Satan and you can start today. You know, some of you in this room may be like, man, this, it has been forever or I don't know how to touch him. I don't know how to approach her. Try. Try.
1: Yeah, it, yeah go ahead. Remember, when you get married, here's what you're telling that person. You're saying, I'm it. When it comes to sex, You're the only place that they can look. They are not meant to turn to anyone or anything but you. And then one of you is always going to want it more. So just decide, be like, I'm the only place that you can have this.
0: So, so we went out to Banff a couple of years ago, and we got to a store, and the store said we open at 10 a.m. And so we get to the store because we're like, we got to get stuff for mountain biking. And we show up at the store at 10.05, and the store's not open. And it's like the most frustrating thing because I'm like, look, you said you'd be open. It's 10.05. You're supposed to open five minutes ago, and you're not. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? This is like the marriage relationship. When we get married, we are essentially telling our spouse, I'm Meyer. Like 24 hours a day, 364 days a year, I am available. Now, I want you to understand Meyer closes. They close on Christmas. There are times that you will not be able to have sex, that you will not be able to do that, but it should be rare. It should be rare. You are Meyer.
1: Come on. You're going you're to look at Meyer in a whole new way <laughs> after this. Every time you drive by, you get a smirk. <laughs> but you're the, you are the place. You are the only place that that desire that they can turn to. So the answer, like she said, make, make the answer yes. Go out of your way. This is it. They don't get to go somewhere else for this. So not only be yes. Don't just open the doors, but engage and be a part of it. It is a gift that God gives married people. And that's where it's meant to be. So be that gift. But here's what sex is not. It is not a bargaining tool. It's not a reward or punishment. Because somebody wants more, well, if you do this and if you don't. If it's a joke and you guys like make fun, that's different. But it should never be. It should never be a bargaining chip. It should never be a, well, if you do, well, da, 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 da. No, that, that is not meant, that, that's not what it is meant to be. It is the two becoming one and you share and engage with each other. A bad, the attitude of bargaining and this, t- making it a reward or something you hold out and, is going to rip apart, will rip apart a marriage. It will rip it absolutely apart. 1 Corinthians says this. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 says this. Nevertheless, because of sexual morality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise the wife to her husband. It's talking about sex. Verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Do not deprive each other except with consent. It's, it's consensual abstinence is what it's talking about. Don't, don't, don't deprive. And if you do, it says, but for a time that you may give yourself to prayer and fasting. How long can you go without food? How long do you go without food? There's, there's, there's your alignment, there's your limit, there's your sign, there's your number. The Bible's like, look, this is something that's due one to another. When you get married, this is, this is a part of it. And then the Bible says, and then come back together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's supposed to be a part. It's the thing that they can get nowhere else. Sex is a gift from God. It's a mingling of people. God's like, look, it's, it'll be special. It'll be unique. It'll be something that they experience with each other and no one else that's going to draw them closer to each other. And as we look at science and what it teaches us about what happens during sex, the, it, it's amazing. It's like you actually want more what you're having at the time. It's not that you get tired of it and you're like, whoa, I get married and I get to have it with one person for the rest of my life. Is that going to be enough? And God's like, yes, it will. Not only that, but it just gets better. It gets better. I remember I was up, uh, I, was probably my, I was probably 19 or 20 and I was, we were up at the cabin and we came in off the lake a little bit early. And my mom and dad were up in the cabin, and a bunch of us, we we're all out on the boat. And we, we, we all get there, and we come in, and I come up, and, and my dad comes out of his room. And he opens, and he closed the door, and he's like, oh, my goodness. And I go, what? And he's like, that is the best sex I have ever had. Your mom is amazing. And then he just walks out. And I'm like, did anybody else hear that? Like, I've got 14 of my friends behind me, and they're all like, what just happened? And I'm like, nothing, you heard nothing, you saw nothing, nothing, nothing happened. But here's the thing, it gets better and better, and it is meant to be, and it can. Let me just tell you this, God designed sex, and he knew it's going to be you and this other person, you're going to get married, it's going to be you forever, and it's going to be fun that it's not going to be boring. He designed our bodies to want it more with the person that we're having it with over and over and over. And that while we go to them for that need, our bodies physically then desire them and that more and more with them. It is meant to get better. I tell people in marriage counseling, I'm like, have fun, but you're just going to get better. Like, it's, it'll be great, but it's going to get better. You're not good at it because hopefully you haven't been practicing. But you're going to get lots in and it can get better and better. That's what it is meant to be. But God designed it. He put it in marriage and he said, it will be great. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something that's meant to be private. But it's meant to be shared openly with your spouse. Not closed, not only if and if you did it my way, well, you didn't do this right. It's no. Absolutely. And it is one of those, it's that thermometer. When we choose to serve each other in it, that it allows our marriage to get closer and closer. And to get stronger and stronger. So, unfortunately, some have been told that, and especially in some Christian circles, that they've been told, well, sex is gross, it's dirty, it's bad, save it till you get married. No, that's not true at all. God designed sex. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And just wait till you get married. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. God designed it. Did you?
0: Yeah, I did want to say just really quickly um, two things. Uh, The very first one is that there are people who have experienced hurt in their marriage. And um, there is healing from that. God says that He that He binds up the broken heart, that He heals the brokenhearted and, and binds up their wounds. And today our prayer team will be up afterwards. And um, I really want to encourage you to come forward and, and receive prayer for your marriage. No matter where you are in the process, no matter um, no matter what that looks like, there is healing uh, for your marriage. There is healing for for that aspect of it. Um, I can't remember the other thing at
1: the moment. Serve each other. That's what we get to do. We read it in 1 Corinthians that the married man, that his interests are divided in how he can please God and how he can please his wife. The married woman, her interests are also divided in how she can please God and how she can please her husband. It's serve one another. Serve one another. It's not demand. It's serve. And I realized I'm the only place that she can go to. She's the only place. So think of Meyer. Come on. And serve one another. God designed it and says, it is great. And he knew what he was doing. He did. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. all the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He wants the best for you. It is not dirty. It is not wrong. Maybe because of something that's happened to you or some stances, some things that you saw that you didn't see, something that somebody did to you that shouldn't have been done, you have a different idea about it. God made it and said, it is great. And maybe you need to get with some people, you need to renew your mind and get some counseling and get God's word on the inside of you. It is meant to be great. And it's meant to be for more than just procreation. I like what Song of Solomon, I mean, you read some of that and you're like, holy cow. Well, let me just read some of it to you. Seven verse one. He's talking, he says, this, how beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a skilled craftsman. This might not be your language, but apparently she was eating it up. Verse 2. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with some mixed wine. Between your thighs lies mounds of wheat bordered with lilies. Again, I don't get it, but this... this. Verse 3. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle. Now it's, I'm starting to, to track with it. Verse <laughs> Verse 4. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like sparkling pools in Heshbron at the gate of Bethlehem. Your nose is as fine as the Tower of Lebanon looking over Damascus. I guess it was long and he liked that. I don't know. Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel. And the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are, how pleasing my love, how full of delight. You are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like a cluster of fruit. I said I will climb the palm tree and take hold of the fruit. Amen. On that one. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. Let me just say, your body is a gift that you get to give your spouse. It is not meant to be something that's shamed. It's something that we save for marriage. It's meant to be enjoyed by our spouses. Sex is not dirty. It's a gift that God gives married people. And it's the joining of two where we become one, not just in a physical moment, but God joins us together spiritually. It's so important that God says, what I've joined together, let no one separate. And that in fact, it cannot be undone. It says that just the act, says don't even go visit a harlot, a prostitute, because in that act, the two are becoming one. Do you not know that you're joining your body together? Do you not understand the power of this, this tool, this thing that I've given you, which is sex inside of marriage? It's meant to be great. God made it great. And here's what I believe with all of my heart, that when any and every area of my life, when I do it God's way, I get the best. Any and every area. So do sex God's way. If you're not married, wait. It's going to be great. If you're married, don't wait. It is great. Come on, have some fun and serve one another. Serve one another. Man, we're out of time. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to make sure that every single person, whether you're in this room, whether you're online, wherever you are, that you know where you stand with God. Do you know where you stand with God? And here's the thing, you can know. You don't have to guess. You do not have to wonder. You can know. You may say, well, do you know what I did and I don't think God has any place for me. You don't know where I've been through. I don't, but God does. He knows right where you are and he says this. He knows and so he made a way. He sent his son to die so that you could be free. His son died on a cross. He bled so that you could be free. He paid the price that you could be free. But then he didn't just stay dead, he rose again so that you could live a victorious life through Jesus. And it begins with you accepting what he has done, being joined in God's family, and then begin to walk out the plan and purpose God has for you. And let me just say, it is good. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And you may have made a mess of things up until now. Or you may just say, you know, I've tried all kinds of things, but I'm not finding the hope. Where is the joy that I'm meant to experience in life? It is found in Him. You're complete through your union with Christ. So if you're here today and you say, I need that. I want to know where I stand with God. I want to leave here knowing my sins are forgiven, begin to walk out the plan and purpose He has for me. Online, in this room, wherever you are, if that's you, I'd love the honor of praying with you and then right in your seat, we can say amen. And when we do, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt where you stand with God and begin to walk out of relationship with him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, then at the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand up high. You're gonna shoot it up high, not halfway, and you're saying, I wanna be forgiven, I wanna be set free, and I wanna walk in the fullness of life that God has for me. If that's you, here we go. One, two, three. Right now, shoot it up and say, that's me. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Say, today is my day. Awesome, hands down. Here's what I want us all to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And everybody, let's just all just pray this out loud together. Those that lifted your hands, as you say these words, make them your own. Speak them from your heart. God's right here. He's listening to you. Let's do it. Let's pray together. All together say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for shedding your blood so I could be free. Forgive me and make me new. From now on, I'm yours. With all that I am, I choose you. And I know you died, but you rose again. With victory. And from today on, I'm going to walk in that victory. I'm yours with all that I am. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you and your family equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.